Al Jazeera podcast. Last year was the worst on record for Israeli attacks on Palestinians in the occupied West Bank, and they've been intensifying since the war on Gaza began. Palestinians in the West Bank have also carried out several attacks on Israelis, so where could all this violence lead? I'm Elizabeth Puranam and you're listening to the Inside Story podcast where we dissect, analyze and help define major global stories. Let's take the discussion right to Ramallah in the occupied West Bank from where all three of our guests are joining us. Mustafa Barghouti is Secretary General of the Palestinian National Initiative, that is a Palestinian political movement. Walid Habas is with the Palestinian Forum for Israeli Studies, or Mother, And Bushra Khalidi is policy lead for the UK charity Oxfam in the occupied Palestinian territory and Israel. A very warm welcome to all of you. Mr. Barghouti, I'll start with you. The UN says that Palestinians are living in constant terror of the discriminatory use of Israeli state force and settler violence against them. Can you paint us a picture of life in the occupied West Bank? Well, of course, uh, what's happening in the West Bank uh, is, is, is bad, uh, but uh, and as horrible as what's happening also in Gaza Strip. But what we are subjected to here is, uh, since, especially since the 7th of October, is uh, Israel's violation of every international law. Every Israeli army soldier, every Israeli policeman, every Israeli settler feels that they have a license to kill, and they can do any atrocity to any Palestinian, any harassment to any Palestinian. The result is very drastic. I mean, since the, the 7th of October, I think we've lost more than 540. Uh, since the beginning of last year, we've lost about 540 Palestinians. Since the 7th of October, we had so many Palestinians killed. At least 22 Palestinians were killed directly by Israeli settler terror. Mm -hmm. And Israel now is arming uh, the Israeli settlers uh, in, a, in a very uh, big way. And uh, these settlers have been uh, attacking Palestinian communities, conducting also acts of ethnic cleansing. Uh, no less than 30 Palestinian communities have been evicted from their homes by Israeli settlers' terror. But uh, the situation is even worse than that. The whole West Bank has been uh, divided in 224 clusters, or ghettos, if you want, mm -hmm. divided by no less than uh, uh, 650 military Israeli checkpoints, many of which have become uh, stations for harassment and sometimes stations where Palestinians would be shot at and killed. Uh, the settlement expansion is growing at a rate that is unprecedented. Uh, the Israelis are arresting people uh, so widely. We didn't see that since maybe the first intifada. More than 5,350 Palestinians have been arrested in the West Bank since the 7th of October. That brought the number of Palestinians in Israel jails to more than 8,000. And on top of that, the prisoners in Israeli jails are subjected to terrible Absolutely. harassment, torture, and oppression, which led to the killing of at least seven Palestinian prisoners since the 7th of October All right. while they've been tortured. Mr. Barghouti, thank you very much for laying the situation out for us, and we will be discussing all of those points in more detail. Uh, Mr. Habas, if I can come to you, 
even before October 7th, as we've been reporting, the UN said that 2023 has been the deadliest year for Palestinians in the West Bank. Why has Israel increased its raids and violence in the occupied West Bank? Yes, of course, it has been uh, the deadliest year, uh, even before 7th of October. Uh, actually, we should remember that uh, in December 2022, uh, a new Israeli government uh, was established, and this was a very far-right wing uh, government. Uh, two important things happened concerning the West Bank. First, uh, Smutrich, who, who, who is considered the, the, the extremist uh, figure in this government, uh, uh, was uh, uh, became the second minister in the defense, Israeli defense minister, and he was he became responsible for uh, the whole West Bank and uh, also the Kugat uh, and the civil administration. And he, of course, represents uh, the settlers inside the West Bank, and he has a vision uh, to arrive to one million settlers uh, by two, uh, 2030. Uh, a lot of uh, changes have been happening in the West Bank, especially in the West Bank, uh, since the beginning of 2000. Uh, uh, okay, so you see the changes uh, but, uh, as a result of the, Israel having uh, the, the most the, far-right government that there's ever been elected in the country. But what is it that you think that they are trying to do? Yes. So, so these the, the the Israeli agenda escalated in 2023. It, it did not began by the establishment of this government. However. Uh, uh, Israel, since 2014, has halted any political negotiations with Palestinians, and it has been well uh, uh, known for everybody uh, the, uh, the announcements of the Israeli uh, governments that uh, Area C should be annexed to Israel, and that uh, the Palestinian Authority uh, operating inside Area A and B should be designated as a non-political entity only governing, administrating uh, the civilian affairs of Palestinians. This is a very huge shift in the last decade that uh, uh, arrived its momentum uh, in 2023. Uh, so Israel is, uh, was trying since the beginning of uh, uh, that year uh, to expand uh, the settlements and also to improve the conditions of the settlers in order to annex them administratively, mm -hmm. but also to establish all facilities for the settlers. Right. Uh, this demanded a shift in the uh, practices of the Israeli government towards the Palestinians and towards their lands. And certainly we have seen a great expansion of Israeli settlements, which are, of course, illegal under international law. Ms. Khalidi, let me bring you in now on that Israeli activity across the occupied West Bank and the raids that, you know, we have been focusing on. What kind of impact are they having, humanitarian impact are they having on the people who live in the West Bank, especially given the great destruction that we often see accompanying these raids, the destroying of roads, of very important infrastructure, of power lines, of water supply. I mean, I think what we're seeing and what we've been seeing in the West Bank is, yes. and, and in Gaza, I think that we have, 
we have to make the comparison is, you know, very similar policy of forcible displacement, of demolitions, of uh, killing with impunity um, and no accountability, um, both uh, children and unarmed uh, men and women um, with record numbers um, on the rise every single year um, since the UN has been monitoring those numbers um, in the last 20 years here in the OPT. The impact um, uh, of closures, of military raids, uh, of unlawful detentions and arrests, um, of demolitions and forcible displacement of communities is, 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 is first a, a big impact on the economy. Um, mm -hmm. So essential agricultural activities um, are drastically reduced. Uh, there's loss of income. Uh, we've got 200,000 Palestinians who are unable to work in Israel, who used to have permits uh, to be able to work in Israel. We have 50% uh, of salaries being paid because of, uh, uh, of uh, no money you know, being received by the Palestinian Authority and therefore civil servants are not being paid. Um, agriculture is a major economic sector for the Palestinian economy. It's crucial uh, livelihood for thousands. And you know the inability to harvest um, has also an impact uh, on on local economy. It's not yet seen, but we will see the the, the impact on the economy in the, in the upcoming months and year. Uh, actually, according to the Palestinian Farmers Union, um, this year Palestinian um, uh, farmers were only able to harvest 50 percent of um, uh, their produ produce this year because of collective punishing policies imposed by Israel uh, post October 7 that already existed but yes. uh, have just escalated and 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 been heightened. It also has actually an impact on our on our fragmentation. We're unable to visit each other as families, as uh, employees and colleagues. We can't you know freely travel from one city to the other in the OPT. That has an, an, an a huge impact on the psychological um, and, and, and kind of cultural fabric of Palestinian society um, yes. and, and, and psychological toll. Uh, children are unable to go to school normally in, in, in Palestine because they have to cross checkpoints. Uh, yeah. You can imagine what impact uh, crossing a checkpoint to go to school has on a child. Uh, from little age, you know, this is something that's normalized to him. Actually, yesterday, a three-month-old baby was died at a checkpoint because they were refused uh, uh, passage uh, by the Israeli soldiers. And these are, you know, stories that we hear of women unable to cross a checkpoint uh, and, and having to deliver at the checkpoint. You know, this is a daily reality for Palestinians. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Barghouti, Ms. Khalidi has really laid out the economic impact, the social impact of what's been happening in the occupied West Bank. She also mentioned collective punishment. What would you say the political impact so far has been on the on Palestinian, on the Palestinian political scene? We've seen a recent, you know, recent polls by the Palestinian Center for Policy and Survey Research showed that 44% of people in the West Bank support Hamas, up from just 12% in September, and that the 92% of people want President Mahmoud Abbas of the Palestinian Authority, which administers many parts of the occupied West Bank, to resign. Yes, there are reasons for that. Uh, but in general, you have to understand that Palestinians, after witnessing the failure of Oslo process for 30 years, and after seeing that Israel deprived the Palestinian Authority from any authority whatsoever, uh, the Israeli army is invading all cities, which are supposed to be under the Palestinian Authority security control. <clears throat> they have no respect to the Palestinian Authority. They deprived it not only from security control in cities, but more than that, they deprived the Palestinian Authority from the ability to control its own revenues, which are paid not by donors or by Israel. They are paid by us, the Palestinian citizens, the taxes 
that are the main revenue of the Palestinian Authority. Even that Israel is controlling, and it is actually conducting an act of piracy, depriving the authority from these resources. So practically, the people watched during the last 30 years and waited for the result of the so-called the peace process, the mm -hmm. two-state solution, the Oslo process, the Oslo agreement. And nothing happened except more occupation, more settlements, and more aggression, and more killing of Palestinians. So the people don't have trust in this policy of the Palestinian Authority. And they don't have trust in the so-called Oslo Agreement. They want an alternative, and people support resistance. That's why you see this shift in the polls, mm -hmm. because Israel made the Palestinians think that it understands only the language of force. But if we want to look at the overall political context of why Israel is doing that, it's, it's very clear. <clears throat> the Zionist movement was based on two principles, annexing the land, taking the land by force, and they managed to do so by occupying us. But the, the other aspect is to get rid of the Palestinian population, which they couldn't do. Regardless of the fact that 7 million Palestinians are still abroad, refugees deprived from the right of return to their homes, there, the number of Palestinians on historic Palestine is today equal to Israeli Jewish people. For Israel, there is one of three options. Either they should accept a two-state solution, which they don't want to accept, because they want to maintain the annexation of the West Bank, or they should accept one democratic state, which means equal rights for all people. And that means that that state cannot be Jewish only as they want. Or the third option, which this Israeli government is opting for, and that is ethnic cleansing of the Palestinian people, not only in Gaza, but also in the West Bank. And Mr. had they succeeded in Gaza in conducting ethnic cleansing, they would have moved to the West Bank and repeated the same thing. So that's why Palestinians now understand one thing. They have to struggle for their resilience. Right. Through their resilience, they have to struggle and stay on their land, because and without that, they have no future. And Mr. Habas, do you think that there is a role for the Palestinian Authority in the Palestinian struggle. There is so much talk. You know, the United States, for example, wants the Palestinian Authority to play a crucial role in the, in the future um, of any possible two-state solution. But do you think that uh, what Mr. Barghouti is saying, is it Israel that has rendered the Palestinian Authority ineffective, or does the Palestinian Authority also have to carry some of the blame? Yes, I think it has to carry some of the blame. I want to uh, to, to, to answer your question by uh, elaborating on a significant point mentioned by Mr. Barghouti when he said that the Israelis want to get rid from the Palestinians. We call this elimination of the, the, the Palestinians, and the elimination is done by controlling them administratively. This has been done since 1967, and it has been done through an indirect colonial rule. Unfortunately, the Palestinian Authority is the entity which which is positioned uh, in this indirect colonial rule, taking uh, uh, this role. Uh, so uh, in order for the Palestinian Authority to, to, to break away from the occupation, it should uh, not only call for a Palestinian state or two-state solution, it should call for a decolonization of this occupation, which but means— the Palestinian Authority uh, calls uh, for a two-state solution. It, all, it, it calls for a two-state solution. 
Yes, but when we analyze this away from the political discourse, we can analyze that this is only a discourse for the, 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 the population consumption. But in fact, we, we, we should analyze the mechanisms and the bureaucratic procedures uh, that situates the Palestinian Authority de facto as part of the colonial regime. It is not about uh, uh, judging it politically or ethically. It's about talking about the mechanisms. If we disaggregate the, 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 the Oslo Accords and read it uh, line by line, we see that uh, the civilian on the, in the West Bank is the civil administration or the uh, Israeli soldiers. And part of this uh, structure is the Palestinian Authority, which is taking administrative control of management control over the Palestinians. So I'm analyzing here the mechanisms that are uh, 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 in effect uh, on the ground and not judging the the politics uh, the politics of the Palestinian Authority. So in order to to, to opt for a two-state solution, uh, uh, we should break away from Oslo Accords. We should also we have two divisions within between the Palestinians. The first is between the West Bank and uh, Gaza, between Fatah mm -hmm. and Hamas, and the second uh, uh, division that nobody talks about is between the Palestinians inside Israel and the Palestinians in the so-called occupied territories. This division also should be eliminated in order to talk about emancipatory project. All right. Ms. Khalidi, do you think that the Palestinian Authority should be playing a bigger role in protect protecting Palestinian civilians in the occupied West Bank? Can it be doing more? I mean, it's important to set the scene that this is a military occupation, and Israel as an occupier has clear duties and obligations under international law, of which a paramount duty is to protect Palestinian civilians and provide them with basic necessities, both in the West Bank and in Gaza, and which they are not doing in both the West Bank and in Gaza, because, in fact, on the contrary, they deprive Palestinians of access to land, of access to water, of access to national natural resources. It, they, you know, impede our movement um, and and put restrictions on our freedom of movement and have revoked, for example, most permits uh, that people had to access Israel and all, you know, the the the, the closures that we were talking about. So. I wouldn't even put the burden on the Palestinian Authority. I would put the burden on Israel in terms of protecting Palestinian people and providing uh, in line with okay. international their international obligations. One more point I want to make. This fragmentation of Palestinian society has led to isolation of communities and the inability to create an alternative for Palestinians. Mm -hmm. um, this is what this policy of control and div division and, and, and oppression has created, is, is that there is no other alternative for Palestinians um, uh, than this authority. Right. Uh, and, and it's been very difficult for also to have, um, you know, for, 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 you know, future or forward thinking, uh, mm -hmm. uh, with, you know, when we're unable to, 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 to organize together. Sure. Uh, Mr. Barghouti, when Ms. Khalidi was talking about how Israel's obligations and rights under international law, it hasn't been abiding by those for 70 years. It's not going to begin to do that now, is it? The UN says that there is a risk of annexation, Israel annexing parts of the occupied West Bank. Who's responsibility is it now to make sure that that doesn't happen? Do you think that the international community will allow that if that's where things are headed? Well, who is the international community? That is the big question. 
is the international community are the people who are now demonstrating all over the world, demanding the end of the Israeli attack on Gaza and the war on Gaza, and demanding that Palestinians would be free? Or is it the state, the United States government and the government of Britain and some other Western governments who are allowing Israel to be impunitive and above the international law? Israel will not change its course unless it is subjected to sanctions. And if the world does not continue to use double standards, look, Russia was uh, was put under 111, uh, the world uh, put uh, 11,000 sanctions on Russia in one month. Mm -hmm. because they said it occupied parts of Ukraine. In our case, they are supporting the occupier. So this double standard has to change. Mm -hmm. And Israel cannot, will not be able to achieve peace unless it stops its nature of being a settler colonial project. They want to annex the occupied territories, and the world is not punishing them for that. And I think only through boycott, divestment, sanctions, as was done to the apartheid system in South Africa, the situation could be changed. And we but have seen an increase. We have seen an Sorry, increase please. in support for the BDS movement that you've mentioned since the war on Gaza began. Mr. Habas, if I can bring you in there, the U.S. Uh, took measures, implemented measures against settlers, Israeli settlers who were involved in violence against Palestinians in the occupied West Bank. Do you think that that could expand, that those measures, those sanctions could expand and that could other countries do the same? Are they meaningful in any way? I, I don't think they are, uh, uh, I mean, uh, rightful in their sanctions about settlers because uh, the United States is backing uh, the Israeli government and the Israeli government is building the settlements inside the West Bank. So it, so making this differentiation between a, a, a lawlessness by settlers in the West Bank and that they are out, should be outlawed and should be sanctioned, but but on the other, on the same mm -hmm. uh, line, uh, uh, the United the, the, the the U.S. is backing Israel as supporting it and also uh, 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 supporting its project inside the West Bank. So this makes no sense. Uh, we don't expect uh, 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 that sanctions should come from the uh, uh, United States. Uh, we expect that uh, uh, the free nations should uh, 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 gather all together, uh, support uh, the Palestinians. All we right. should also remember that uh, under under the international law, whenever people are under a colonial regime or under a military occupation, then it is their right to resist and use any Absolutely. type of resistance we have against a, this occupation. We have less than a minute left, uh, and I'd like to ask Ms. Khalidi a very quick last point. After everything you've heard, what do you think needs to happen to de-escalate the tensions in the occupied West Bank? How to de-escalate tensions? Yes. Um, I mean, you know, measures uh, to prevent uh, settlers, one is not a measure that would de-escalate any tension. If anything, I feel like they would, you know, probably be retributive here in the West Bank um, with the sanctions uh, imposed on them abroad. Um, listen, it, it's very—we, as a humanitarian community, we have been saying um, ending the occupation ending the siege on Gaza uh, are, are, are two measures uh, that would de-escalate tensions. Um, right. And, you know, accountability 
accountability is clear is is impunity is what has gotten us here accountability and we have plenty of judicial and non-judicial mechanisms um to 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 uh, to, yeah to to ensure that perpetrators of violence are held accountable and they have not been Bushra Khalidi in Ramallah, thank you very much for that. I'm sorry that we ran out of time, but thank you to all of our guests, Mustafa Barghouti in Ramallah and also Walid Habas in Ramallah. This episode was produced by Dermot Fleming, Umi Kulsum Sharif, Veronica Pedrosa and Paul Taylor. Studio sound was by Mohammed Osman. The program was edited by Anirban Sarkar, David Enders and Joe DeFrias. Be sure to subscribe to the Inside Story podcast to catch every episode. Thank you for listening and tune in on Wednesday for our next edition. On the next Necessary Tomorrows, an asteroid with enough minerals to completely transition Earth to green energy is discovered. But we found it. A bountiful supply of nickel and cobalt that will save our planet many times over. But should the materials go to everyone or just those with the power to get them first? If anyone can take those minerals, we'll only be rewarding greed. The guiding principle in all exploration is first come, first served. A feast for cobalt on Necessary Tomorrows, a new podcast by Doha Debates and Al Jazeera. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts.